ever look at your team mid-practice or even mid-game and think, are they alive? <laughs> there are so many things that drain their energy. Then before you know it, the energy is gone and you might as well call it a day. <laughs> and if you're honest, we have those days too. Today's guest not only speaks to this topic, he exudes energy and positivity. No joke, he had me standing up in Superwoman pose. So if you're ready to get some fantastic nuggets from a world-class athlete, motivational speaker, dad, and softball brother, listen in. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing, And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Uh, I was just telling our guest here, this is the first one who legit beats me in energy, and I am so excited. I wish (laughs) we could share the video with you. (laughs) Please welcome. Just get ready for this. If any of you guys are driving, just... Make sure you're not driving too fast now because you're going to get pumped like we are. <laughs> You'd be like, lead foot. Please welcome David Lindsay. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate you guys spending this time with me. And I look forward to spending the time with you guys and also sharing some valuable nuggets for the listeners. Give them some value. Give them some energy. Like you said, pump them up and get them more excited. I love it. I, I love it. Now I've already done my workout and showered today. So I don't know. You're going to make me want to go do it again. So yeah, we can do it again, do, do it, it again. again, but we really appreciate you coming on. So one of the first questions we usually ask our guest, David is tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. Well, my journey started off when I was young, like, like with everyone, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. We're, I'm still here now. So coming all the way from Sydney, Australia, across to the States, I love it. That's one of the benefits of the last three years, but we'll get onto that in a little bit. I, I started, I was always being an athletic kid growing up. My dad got me into soccer. I've got an older brother and a younger sister. So in order to stop the parents having to split up, I always played my sports a couple of years above, which I believe really has helped me long-term with my resilience, with my mindset, with my athleticism, with not being too scared of the big guys you know, beating me for it. So that really set me up for success long-term, playing with people that were two and three years older than me. Even though I was playing up those ages, I went really well with soccer, but it wasn't really my passion. At that time, I played baseball and played for New South Wales and was ranked high uh, in New South Wales in baseball, but it still wasn't 100% my passion. And I got into rugby league when I was 12. That was where I really found myself And with that, I excelled in rugby league and got picked up by South Sydney, which is the most successful rugby league team in Australia, in the NRL. Got picked up um, from them when I was 14 and was going really, really well. Even though I'm not the biggest bloke going around, I beat them with my physicality and my mentality. Uh, Unfortunately, when I was 17, I suffered my first knee reconstruction, but then used that time to get bigger, to get stronger, and came back actually better as a result of that. But I always said if I had a second knee reconstruction, that would be it. Unfortunately, when I was 21 years old, I suffered that second knee reconstruction, which that pulled my career out from underneath me. And I was devastated. As you can imagine, that's who my identity was. But still, I didn't let that hold me back. I was still incredibly big, incredibly strong, 
And it was just a random meeting with a guy at a shopping center. Got me. He goes, you look big and strong. How do you got arm wrestling? And I said, when I do it for drinks, I don't buy drinks. And he handed me his card and go, have you ever thought of doing that for a sport? And I went, you, I never even knew it as a sport. But I got into that. And like everything I do, I jumped in with both feet. I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. And I was doing well. I was beating bodybuilders. I was beating guys who were bigger and stronger than me. And I was on my way across to this, the States to go in some professional arm wrestling tournaments. And our first stop along the way was to Corfu, Greece, for a mate's wedding. And I, was, I went to arm wrestle about the day after the wedding. And I did a mistake and I turned my body and... I snapped my humerus. So with that, uh, at first I thought I'd broken the bar because my ribs were on the bar and it was just like a sound of dry piece of wood getting snapped across your knees. And then I looked at mom and went, oh no, I've broken my arm. So that stopped my round the world tour. Obviously I didn't go into any professional arm wrestling tournaments, but came back to Australia and got a plate put in my arm. Unfortunately, when they put a plate in my arm, they hit a nerve and my arm became paralyzed for four months. That was the worst part of my life. That was the deepest, not depression, but the the worst part that I've ever been in. Because before that, I was, like I said, I was a footballer. I played rugby league. I was a gym supervisor. I was a personal trainer. My identity was in sports. And not being able to use my arm, that got ripped out from underneath me. Luckily, I was with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And we also have a lovely daughter. So she's stuck around after that. So I'm, I'm lucky in more ways than one with that. But then eventually after four months, I started getting some movement back in my arms. And I was super excited about that. I'm, well, still to this very day, I'm still super competitive. But I thought, what can I get into? And there was a martial arts school across the road from where I did my Sir 3, Sir 4 personal training. So I went and I did Kung Fu, Jiu Jitsu, submission wrestling. Uh, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, the, the whole box and dice. And then my competitive juices started going again and got into cage fighting. And the big thing with that is really meeting my wrestling coach, where it was just a throwaway conversation that we had on the way down to a training camp. He goes, Dave, you've got so much more on you than just fighting, than just training people. And that sort of just planted the seed. And then, what, two years after he planted that seed initially, I went to see Eric Thomas and I went to the whole day event and I won an event to a three-day speaking boot camp, which was worth $3,000, $4,000. I was just ecstatic because I got up and I took the first step. I never knew I was speaking as a profession. I knew of Eric Thomas, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, gods like that and thought, how, how, who am I to be up there on the stage? But I went and I did a 12-month course. And I've been working, 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 doing speaking ever since. And it's funny that there was this one time where I just got a fantastic result and it was like a light switch went. And I went, this now is where I'm designed to be. This is where I can make an impact, not just one to one or one to 30, but one to millions. And that's where I'm currently at at the moment. I'm so excited. I'm loving <laughs> it. But I'm too excited. I don't want to go first. Um, we're going to start at where we are now. Tell me now, when you're speaking, what is your favorite nugget to share with the people listening? Let's start with your favorite, favorite, and we're going to branch out from there. 
Yeah, of course. I've got my five steps towards improved vitality. That's what I speak about. It's about raising your energy, raising your body physically, mentally, and emotionally to perform at your peak. And there's so many different ways to do that. As I said before, I've got my phone here. I had some music on just before to get me moving because emotion is led by emotion. So, and you notice that I'm doing this standing as well because I feel that my energy comes across when I'm standing up. I'm quite animated with my body as well. So it gives me that freedom and I, I love it. <laughs> and we, we get it moving. So utilizing music and movement to really snap into action. So that all goes with the first step, which is vitally important to raise your energy, raise morale, raise the workplace, raise the environment is to create routines and rituals to snap into action. And there we go, Mel. I like it. You're also doing the super, super girl pose and Alicia as well, because I talk about that, the importance of the Superman. I, I said the Superman pose. And it's funny because my daughter used to come and watch me when I first started doing it. And she goes, I love it. That's all right for the guys out there. What about for the girls? So in an instant, I went, okay, we have Superman and we have Wonder Woman as well. So just taking up space, standing powerful, raises your testosterone while lowering your cortisol. It gets you into the alpha mindset. So that's really what I love. And that's what I bring to, to everyone that I speak to. I bring that energy. I bring that vitality. I bring the vim, vigor, passion for what I do. Yeah, you can't oh, see me, but I stood up. I squished out my chair. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true because body language, I mean, because in our world, we talk so much about body language and mm. mostly coach you know, 14 to 22 year old women and girls and women. So it's really something that is always something that we talk about the body language. You can read so much from the body language. And so I just, I mean, it's actually practicing. I know that we, we interviewed um, Jenny Roan is the former Western Michigan university coach now coaches at Harvard. And she talked about walking out onto the field and physically practicing, right. Positive body language. And I love the energy piece. So Think like with, with these girls, like most of our listeners are softball coaches. How would you suggest walking out onto the field and getting a bunch of teenage girls to have some energy? Yeah. And it's funny that you say softball specifically because I'm, I'm actually going uh, on a speaking tour over to the States in November. So not too long. And I've also got my sister coming along with me where she played in the Australian junior softball team, the one bronze medal at world championships, like many, many years ago. So, yeah, speaking of that, and it's the same whether it's male, whether it's female, you, you huddle up because it's a team environment. So you want to do it as a team. So you have music going, you get the energy vibing, and then you walk out. You don't stroll out willy-nilly. No, you walk out with power, passion, and purpose, knowing that you're going to make a difference, knowing that you're going to come out a better person than when you went in. Because whether it's in rugby league, whether it's in softball, whether it's in basketball, any sport at all, if you're going half-assed, you're the one that's going to get hurt. It's when you go 110% that that's when you're less likely to get injured. Fair point. We just worked on diving yesterday. <laughs> we were talking about that as well. Okay. On that note, tell me about the things that hold us back from this energy. What are the things that you see that kind of get in people's way, even if they're like, yeah, that sounds great. But... Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny you say that because it's, we all know in theory what we're supposed to do. Because like I said, my background is as, a, as an athlete, as a coach, as a trainer, as a personal trainer, we all know how to get fit. We know what's required, but it's not putting things into action. 
whether it, it all comes from up here, whether we go, um, oh, I'm in my comfortable bed, oh, it's wet, it's raining, no, I'll just roll over and I'll get an hour's extra sleep. So it all starts from that. It's the, as I said before, we're snapping into action. It's the routines and rituals that you create, the things you do each and every day that add up to being the person that you want to be. So what I always do is I always look ahead and then you break it down. What step can I do today that will lead me to that optimum person in six months time? And that comes into actually the fifth step, which is recap, because it's all, all about continuous, never ending improvement in absolutely everything we do. So guys, unfortunately, with the next podcast, I'm going to be a better guest. But I'll tell you what, I'm a better guest this time than I was last week. I'm a better guest today than I would have been if we did it yesterday. So that's just the way that we are. <laughs> so it's about getting that little bit better. Having that confidence. Confidence in yourself starts from your body, starts from your mind, sorry, flows through your body, and then it flows out. So doing those little things, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. That's a big thing that I got from wrestling is, like, like I said, I'm not the biggest bloke going around. When I was fighting, I was fighting at 65 kilos, which is 145 pounds. But yet, when I'm sparring against people, I go against people that are well over 200 pounds, but I can beat them mentally. And that's because you get them in a position, you hold them there, you can hear their breathing. Their breathing goes panicked. And, and then they stop breathing. And you know, it's only a matter of time before they exhaust themselves and you have them. My coach was big on saying that, you know, the brain is the driver. You can have a Ferrari, but yet if the driver doesn't know how to control it, a little mini will be able to go around faster than the Ferrari. And it all starts up here. So it's, you have to go in there mentally prepared to get uncomfortable because you know long-term you're going to get the results from that time. That's the same with athletics, with sports, with business, with speaking. It's getting uncomfortable working past that and growing as a person that that same exact experience happened to me when I used to do um speaking in front of co coaches at conferences and I always mm -hmm. had to at first I started memorizing everything and I had to be perfect and it's just like <laughs> it sucked it was awful yeah. but eventually I just got to the point where I just started talking you know mm -hmm. and but I had to get very uncomfortable standing in front of people that I was like, why do you want to hear what I have to say? Right. So therefore I have to be very, you know, perfect and in memory. So it didn't, it didn't work out as well, but you're yeah. right. Like enforcing yourself into those positions, which I would say mm. a lot of times kids are scared to do right. Which yeah. is kind of what you alluded to before kids are scared to get uncomfortable. So mm. what would you maybe like some advice or what would you suggest for people who are really scared to even take that first step to get uncomfortable? Yeah, because I know exactly how they feel. Because back in high school, I was very, very good at football and very, very good at baseball. But I wasn't very good at getting up and speaking. I wasn't, believe it or not, I was a shy little kid. As soon as they call out my name, my daughter's very much the same. She just sort of, you know, you sink into yourself because I know my stuff. But what if I make a fool of myself? Because, you know, when you're in, it's an evolutionary process. Because when you're in a small group, if you make yourself look silly, you're going to put yourself on the outer. But as you grow, as you get into high school, university, beyond, your world really expands exponentially. So it's people really, they, they don't think that much about you. So if you make yourself feel silly, in 10 minutes, you'll still remember it. 
but the majority of people won't remember it. They don't care. They're so much in their own head. So, and that's where you get the experience from is from, because I know after I did my first talk, like, like you, Alicia, I was petrified. I was going, but then afterwards, I just went, yes, I was so glad that I did it. It was far from perfect. And if truth be told, I'm never going to get perfect. But that's perfectly fine with me because it's all about that improvement every time. So whether it's in sports, whether it's in speaking, whether it's in school, put yourself out there. Make yourself feel uncomfortable because perfect is something to strive for. No matter who you are, we're never going to get to perfect. But striving for it is perfectly fine. And that's what we should all aim to do. I love that. I definitely started noticing the trend back. I think when I was playing so a while ago, or I was like, oh, just let's just not talk about perfect. Let's just set the bar a little lower. And then I was like, no, like we can still go for it. Just don't be as crazy as I was about it. Yeah. But uh, I think the thing I keep hearing in every one of your performance stories, because now you've had a bunch of different experiences overall for your entire performance career they were little they were shorter spans mm. than playing one thing for years and years and years, and years so how did so to me that's like someone uh leveling up a skill they already have or trying mm. a new skill trying a new position how did you carry your your trust in yourself to something that you literally had no proof for yet yeah, and that that's very much what it is. Because a prime example would be when I first went went up the stairs to where I did my martial arts at. You had to walk up two flights of stairs. Those stairs seemed like they felt forever. Like I hadn't done martial arts since I was a little kid, and I'd gone and I played professional football. I'd done arm wrestling, and here I was. I was walking up these stairs, going, I didn't even know what I was in for. The only reason that I went there is because it was literally across the road from where, where I did my Cert 3, Cert 4 training. And I was shooting myself every step of the way up. But then once I stepped into the room, the way that they embraced me as well, that really just softened everything. And then it was, I sort of realized after six, six months or so of doing it, what was I worried about taking each and every step of the way up? because we do have that negative bias ourselves, And again, it does all come back to ev evolution because I, I was talking with a client about this only a couple of days ago. If a, if a tree rustles and you run, you're going to survive. If it was the wind, you're going to survive. If it was a line, you may survive. Yeah, if you stand there and face it, if it's a wind, you're going to survive. If it's a line, you're no chance. So there is evolutionary reasons why we do have that negativity bias. But these days, we have to learn how to overpower it. And you do that by training yourself, by reading, by listening to motivational, positive things as well. I love doing self-talk as well, where that's a big thing where people, you know, they're in their own head. And when they go down that negative path, everything they say is negative. And I'm not saying that I still don't have that, that negativity now, but what I do is I catch it. I catch it and I flip it. And you reframe it to something positive. Go, man, I don't know if I can go. No, this is a fantastic learning opportunity. It's using the whole growth mindset, which that's something that I've been reading about you know, the last three years is really the difference from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. How And how it's malleable. Our brain, it's the neuroplasticity of it. It just keeps evolving. 
where people used to say, you know, you can't take it, teach an old dog new tricks. That's so like old school thinking. Yeah, we're not down for that. We're for constantly improving. What can I learn today? Because your brain is a muscle. Use it or lose it. And that's getting uncomfortable, learning things, learn, grow, and evolve. Mel is a master reframer. Like if you, <laughs> you can't, David, if you're like one day, you're like, I cannot, I am in a bit. You, you can't reframe it. You call Mel. She was, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. She's an awesome reframer. Yeah. Um, I do have another thing I want to talk about because you said something um, multiple times about how you, uh, your identity was wrapped in what you did mm. as opposed. So I always tell the girls softball is something that you do. It isn't who you are. Sure, so right. yeah. when you recognize, right. And you had that hard time, it sounds like in the beginning to kind of shift, this is my identity. How did mm. you, how did you work through that where it's not who you are? It was something that you did. Yeah. And that that's a great place to be as well is to know that it's not you, it's what you do. And that's brilliant that you're teaching the girls is right from the very start, because yeah, with me, I, like I said, I wasn't the biggest kid growing up, but when I was 12 and started playing rugby league that, and I was very, very good at it because I was, as I said, mentally tough, physically strong, physically tough as well. And I just really excelled in that. And everyone around me in the school, they'd praise me because of what I did on the football field. It didn't matter what I did other places. They put me on the pedestal because I was the first one to get a contract. I was the first one to go outside of the area and play representative football and all this sort of stuff, which is unfortunate for me that they put me up on the pedestal for that reason, because that really created my identity. But what it was, was the people that you surround yourself with is super important to all that sort of stuff. Like I said, when I broke my arm, I, would, I was with my girlfriend at the time, like I said, he's now my wife, but she she was my rock at that time. And she, she goes, that's just one part. There's so much more to you as well. And as I progressed down that, that track, even though fighting, yes, it's incredibly athletic, my wrestling coach was another one that pointed me in that different direction where no, that's not who you are. You're David Lindsay. You're this, you're that. Fighting is just one element of it. It's like if you get a haircut, are you all of a sudden a different person because you have a different hairstyle? You're still the exact same. <laughs> you're still the exact same person, but just look slightly different. Depends on the haircut. I've had a couple doozies. <laughs> yeah. I think a bob's going to be cute. Psych. Shave his head. I love that. I love that so much. And I think the biggest thing I think with this generation of youth right now is that identity piece and how to create their own when they're so outward focused, they're constantly looking mm. at the screen, not just reflecting on themselves. Mm. Um, so like with my girls, I try to focus on like, Hey, bring your strengths to the field, bring yeah. your strengths to this thing you do. How did you bring David's strengths to everything you've done along the way, including husband and dad? Yeah. Well, it's really, like you say, it's about taking that time to find out who you are first. Because how can you bring your strengths if you don't know what your strengths are? And I've, I've come across that quite a few times as well, especially people that I'm coaching now as well. You know, we all have blind spots. And sometimes we need someone to hold a mirror up to us. And that that really are your good friends, the ones that can say things to you that you can't see. 
not just, yeah, pat on the back, well done, guys. You've done excellent. You go, no, you did well. But, David, you can do this and that. Have you thought about this? David, I, you didn't do that well at all. Find out why I did it and then either improve it. It's like Bruce Lee. You take what works and you discard what doesn't. And you do that by surrounding yourself with the right people, by getting coaches. I was very, very lucky that each step along my way with rugby league, I had some brilliant coaches. With arm wrestling, I had a great coach. With fighting, again, I come back to him again. I had my wrestling coach. Each one of them have been very influential on my path to where I am now. And I still go out with the wrestlers even to this day, along with coaches as well. And we, we still sit down. We talk for hours about things, not about fighting, but about life. And there's so many similarities from sports life to real world to business. And they're all those skill sets are all interchangeable because in life, in your friendship group, you don't all have the same skills. Because if you do, it'll just, I know it'll be great to have a million Davids, but you know, we, we get bored of it soon enough. But everyone has their own unique skill set, which all plays part in the team. Like in softball, the catcher, they don't need to be able to pitch. They need to be able to give the signals, read the play, tell the players where to go. They need to play their position exceptionally well. Same as with the outfielders. They need to know where they are. They need to be able to read the game differently than the infielders. So it's all about playing to your strengths. In sports, it's easy because you do have your coaches there. In life, you need to be able to go outside and get coaches from outside to come and talk to you. Or if you're working in an environment, your coaches, um, your supervisors, your managers, they're your coaches and trainers. They should be giving you feedback on how to keep improving yourself as well. So it's about being open to feedback. Also knowing how to ask for feedback, but also how to use that feedback. Because some people just ask for feedback and they don't really want it. They want all the fluff of the, hey, that a boy, you're doing fantastic. Not, man, you, you did that well. What about this? Why did that part slip? Do we need to get someone else to do that? Or can you learn one, two, and three? Maybe do a course, maybe do this, but constantly improve yourself. And I think that just goes to the, adds more, you know, credence to the the role of coaches as we have now, right? The, mm. It can, they can be so influential and it has mm. nothing to do with the game right? It has everything to do with stuff that's off the field or being a role model. And every person I believe needs to have someone in their life who is uh, yes. positive, who supports you, but also challenges you. And I think that like yeah. you can find that right mix, so to speak, as a coach where you can love them, but challenge them and be that positive role model. I think it just goes to to really show how important our role as coaches, you know, are. And so do you have like any, do you feel like when you're speaking and you're doing these, like you're all pumped and you're, you're jacked up and you're doing your awesome speeches <laughs> that you hear some of those little tidbits that your coaches told you that you like, these are the nuggets you got to hear. A hundred percent. And it's constantly going because with my talk as well, it's, I don't just turn up and hope that I'm going to do a good job. I turn up prepared. And it's like with fighting, you train hard, you fight easy. So I practice my talk. I practice my talk. I practice like this morning I was, I was at the gym training. So I was physically and mentally exhausted. Then you get up on, on the stage and you do your talk as well. So the, I also do it with headphones on with crowd noise to try and distract myself as much as possible so that when I get up and I get to do it in front of a, a huge audience, 
I have fun. I can go off. I can communicate with them individually because I've done it so often. And I've done it in situations that stresses my body and my mind out before I've even done it. So that's why I do it like that. But yeah, it's constantly my coaches in my, in my head going, David, you, you've done it before. This isn't just something that you're talking about. This is your life. You've lived it. So go out and share the information. And that's a way that you can really make a difference. And it comes because it was the most impactful and most influential as well, my wrestling coach, where I still remember the one time where he goes, Davey boy, well done. And that really just sticks out to me. And I go, and I spoke to him about that like only six months ago. And I said, there was that one time, the first time that you congratulated me, I put my heart and soul into training because as I said, you train hard, you fight easy. But when he actually patted me on the back and it, it wasn't loud, it was just a whisper, Davey boy, well done. And I go, still now, I, I sort of get that. And he actually came and saw one of my first talks as well. And he did the same thing without realizing it. Afterwards, he put his hand on my shoulder and goes, Davey boy, I'm proud of you. And that just there is enough to keep me driving forward because he's very much the same as myself. I, I love that, but that is just that moment, moment in time. I want to get better each and every time. So if he goes, Davey boy, I'm proud of you years ago, what would he say now? So, and that, that's what it is. It's about feeling the energy that they bring to you. Because like, like you said, whether you want to or not, as soon as you say that you're going to coach a team, you become their role model. How are they supposed to turn up to training if you don't turn up? How are they supposed to respect time if you're turning up late or if you're turning up, you know, a little under the weather? No, you have to turn up and show the kids how it's done or even show the adults how it's done because they're looking at you. They're looking at you more than you realize. Your little actions, if you swear at the referee or umpire, they're going to swear at the referee or umpire as opposed to just going, girls, girls. Because I, I used to coach my daughter's soccer team. Girls, come down. You can't do anything about that. They scored that goal. So, okay, we, we may now be one goal down. What can we do to get past that? And there'd be the girls going, relax, relax. You can't, no matter what you want in life, we can't undo time. So learn from it, grow from it. It's an experience. Show some resilience on how you can come back from one nil, two nil, even three nil down to win the game. Show the character that you've got. And that's what you're really trying to like embody in the kids. All right. Final cue. To the coaches out there, what is your last piece of advice that you want to give to them for developing this kind of energy and resilience in our players? Yeah, well, you need to lead the way. As a coach, it's about going out there and having that energy yourself because energy is contagious and it works both ways. You have to be aware of that because I do in my talk as well, I have a, a high school gridiron team where they have music going and it doesn't start off everyone all at once. It starts off with one kid, then becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. And then it gets that tipping point where the majority of them are up and jumping and going around. And the energy is just electric. So as a coach, especially of younger kids, you bring that energy. You, you have to give them structure as well. It's not just go out and play. Know that every position has a certain skill set and certain mindset. So let's be aware of what's needed from this specific player. But like I said, because um, I jumped forward a little bit then, with the positivity, if you turn up and you're dragging your feet, the kids are watching you. One kid's going to drag their feet, then two, then four. Then you're going to have a group of people that just, you know, 
enjoy the time. This is the time for development. And you're not just developing their skills, but you're also developing their mindset, which that takes them so much beyond the sport. Because no matter how bad kids want to do sport as their profession, very, very small amount of people actually can, can live off life being an athlete. But what we can do is we can change their mind, the way they look at things, the way that they are growing and developing as people outside of sport. And that really is the greatest legacy that you can leave, is leave, leaving kids with something that they might not even use it in sport. They might use it in business. They might use it as a parent. They might use it in all these different elements, but that's because you've touched their heart and soul. And that is a wrap for today's episode. If you like what you heard from David, go learn more. And if you want to start using this kind of thing with your team, figuring out where to start with the mental game, head to mentalsweetspot.com slash assessment and see where your team stands on the six C's. Culture, competitive, committed, confident, courageous, consistent. Then depending on where your team lands on their scores, you can either start with some drills or you can dive headfirst into consulting with Alicia. Either way, we got you covered. Let's get these teams and these players stronger. All right. Have a good day, coach.